Mark chapter 3 and verse 31, the Word of God says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which set about him, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. Together. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this portion of scripture. Can't imagine what it would have been like to sit at the feet of Christ in the flesh and to learn the word of God. But I pray that you'd help us today to listen to these words, to receive instruction from not just these scriptures, but the others that we'll be looking at. And Lord, that you'll help each of us in this room learn what it means to fulfill the will of God in our lives and how we can please you and serve you. I pray that each person would be attentive. I pray the Spirit of God would speak to each heart and that because of this message, we would bring you more glory knowing what you expect of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. This is a powerful portion of Scripture that we read here. Jesus is teaching the Word of God. And if you imagine He's teaching and there's a large crowd around Him. And in the back, His mother and His brethren show up. Now, if you remember at the beginning, His own brothers and sisters didn't believe in Him. Uh, one, time Jesus asked, or one time someone asked me, uh, was Jesus the firstborn? And of his family, and yes, that's how virgin birth works. He had to be, he had to be uh, born first. Uh, so he was born first, and later Mary and Joseph. Of course, that was the this uh, divine conception, uh, the perfect Son of God born of, of the Virgin. Uh, later, uh, Mary and Joseph had their own children, uh, just regular uh, children like you and I. And in the beginning, the brothers and sisters of, of the Lord, and even his mom, even though she kind of looked at things and thought, wow, what's going on here? When he began to show himself as the Christ, his own family thought he was a little crazy. Uh, but then it all started to make sense. And eventually his own uh, family believed on him more than anybody. They had more reason than anybody to believe in him after seeing his perfect life all of those years. And uh, here, though, they, they come and imagine a large crowd thronging Christ. And in the, in the back, his mother and brethren show up and say, we'd like to see Jesus. And so someone hollers out, Jesus, your, your mom and your brethren are here. Your family's here to see you. And so Jesus used this as a teaching opportunity where he said, who is my mother and my brethren? And he looked on the crowd and he said, behold, my mother and my brethren. He basically said, you're all my family. Isn't that good? You're all my family. Why? Look at verse 35. For whosoever, anybody, shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. What's Jesus saying? You become a part of my family by doing the will of God. Now, this doing of the will of God, some people will look at that and be like, well, if you keep the Ten Commandments and if you're, you're a good person and you love your neighbor, then you become a part of the family of God. But that's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says the only way to become a part of the family of God is through salvation, uh, through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to use this portion of Scripture as a a jumping-off place to examine this thought in Scripture. Uh, Think about this thought with me, the will of God for every person. Think about this, the will of God for every person. What if you could know the will of God for every person? I mean, man, woman, child, old, young, uh, whatever your situation, wherever you come from, what if you could know that these are the things that God expects of me? Christians talk a lot about the will of God, and that's because the Bible teaches us the importance of the will of God. Now, what is the will of God? That's kind of a different phrase to our way of talking today. The will of God is His plan and purpose as revealed in Scripture. So the will of God is what he's trying to accomplish. The will of God is what he intends to happen. And so uh, there's a will of God uh, in a lot of different areas. But today I want to talk about the will of God specifically for people. And we can break the will of God for man uh, and divide that into two main categories. There's the general will of God and the specific will of God. Now think about this. The general will of God and the specific will of God. The general will of God is God's plan and purpose for every person. That means that there are certain things that God intends for every person alive. He expects the same thing for all of them and from all of them. That's the general will of God. Then there's a specific will of God. This is God's plan and purpose for the individual. This means that God has a specific plan for you. God has a plan and purpose for you. Why am I here? Why are you breathing? Why do you exist? Why were you born? Because God has a plan for you. God has a will for you. And by the way, if you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet. Right? As long as you're alive, as long as you have breath, you're here for a reason. God is and wants to work in your life. Now think about this. Uh, God has a specific will for you because you're a special creation of God. Everything about you is unique. I want you to consider this. Everything about you is unique. As a snowflake has no twin, you are unlike anyone else on the earth. You're extraordinary. You're special. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, You are extraordinary. Uh, Even identical twins who look so similar on the outside are very different on the inside. Have you ever known a set of twins and it's like, wow, they they could just be carbon copies of each other physically. But then you get to know them and their personalities are different. Sometimes their desires are different. Sometimes they want to dress alike. And, and, but boy, their personalities are so different. Sometimes they don't want to be anything alike. And over the course of time, it becomes, it becomes evident that no matter how much they look alike, they are very different people. Uh, why? Because God made you special. God made you unique. Because of this, God has a personal plan for your life. His plan for you isn't like anybody else. Uh, who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? What are you going to do with your life? What impact are you going to make on the world around you? And the list goes on and on and on. 
uh, the, that, that unknown will of God, that hidden will of God that, that is revealed step by step as you surrender and seek the Lord. God will reveal His individual plan for you. The Bible's clear that Christians should strive to know the specific will of God for their lives. If you're a Christian, then you should want to know what God has planned for you. And the goal of a Christian is not to say, it's my life, I'll do whatever I want. Uh, no, the, the goal of a Christian is to say, what did God create me for? You, know, you will find the greatest significance and the most joy in doing and fulfilling the reason God created you. A hammer can do a lot of things, but it's not made to beat in a screw. doesn't work very good. A hammer is not made to, to do ballet dance, right? And neither is a drill used well to hammer in nails. I've tried it, believe me. I've tried both of those. You're in construction, you're on a ladder, you forgot the tool, you're trying to beat in a screw with a, uh, a hammer or trying to beat in a nail with the end of your, your cordless drill. doesn't work very well. Uh, the, the best way that you're going to fulfill your life and have significance and meaning and joy is to find out why God made you and do that. And so every Christian should be desirous to know the specific will of God. Psalm 143.10 tells us, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Lord, teach me to do thy will. What's your will for me? I want to know why you made me. I want to know what you want me to do. Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So each one of us should know the will of God. We should be seeking the will of God. Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. What's this prayer request? The verse goes on, And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the prayer request is, I want you to know God's will. I want God to reveal His will to you so that you can become who God created you to be. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen to verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because think about that. The will of God. When you study the Bible, you see that the great characters in the Bible were convinced of they knew God's will. And we won't go through all of those things. And so I uh, just want to touch base on this idea that God has two wills. He has first the what kind of will of God? General will. The what kind of will of God? General will. Help me now. The general will of God. And then the what? Specific will of God. All right. So there's a general will. That's God's plan for everybody. There's a specific will. That's God's plan for you. And that will, that, that plan, that purpose is specifically created for you and nobody else in the world can fulfill what you were made to do. You find God's specific will through surrender and seeking. As you take steps, God will reveal the next step. The specific will of God is kind of like driving your car at night. Uh, your headlights don't light the way all the way to your home. If you're up shopping in Warwick, we'll use a Black Friday illustration, amen? Uh, and at, you're at 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever ungodly hour. You need to get home or you need to get to the store. You don't turn on your car and the headlights light every road, every twist and turn. You can't look and say, okay, this is my entire path. 
That's not the way life works. But life works a lot like driving a car. The headlights allow you to see just far enough to keep moving. And as you keep moving, more of that will, more of your path is revealed, right? If I were to go out in my car and sit there and turn on the lights and I see, I can only see so far and I say, you know what, I can't move because I can't see all the way to the store. That's the way some people live their lives. Well, God's not showing me as well, so I guess I can't. No, you do what you know to do. And as you do what you know to do, more is revealed. Just as the car moves forward, more of the path is revealed. And you move and there's more revelation. And so the the specific will of God is found through surrender and through seeking. I say all that by introduction. Today's message is not about the specific will of God. Today's message is about the general will of God. This is the will of God for every person. Now, the general will of God is much easier to discern or to figure out than the specific will of God. The general will of God is found by studying the Scripture. And in the Scripture, God gives us principles that we are to live by. And those principles are not made for a section of people or for a specific person the, the Word of God is of no private interpretation. The Word of God is made for everybody, and it hits everybody. If something's right for me, it's right for you. If something's right for you, it's right for me. It's popular today to say, well, this is my truth. It may not be your truth, but it's my truth. No, there's, there's His truth, and there's error. Uh, and so... The general will of God is discerned by studying the scriptures and applying biblical principles and truths to our lives. And we fulfill the general will of God by obeying the scripture. Now, we we will spend our whole lives as Christians studying the word of God and trying to shape our lives into the image of Christ according to the scripture. However, there's a few verses in the Bible that specifically use the phrase, the will of God. Matter of fact, some even say, This is the will of God. Have you ever wished God would just come down and say, okay, do this? We've all wished that if you're seeking the Lord. But here are some times in the scripture where God says, this is my will. And it's my will for everybody. It's my will for every Christian. And so this morning we're going to talk about this idea, God's will for every person. And we're going to examine some verses in the Bible that declare the will of God for everyone. Now we're going to start here in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 3, where the Bible says, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my uh, brother and my sister and my mother. All right, so Jesus taught us that those who do the will of God become a member of his family. But what does it mean to do the will of God? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness but is not long-suffering to us, or listen to this, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's not willing that any should perish. That word perish speaks of eternal death, dying and going to hell. This is so beautiful. God doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. He wants all men to come to repentance, and repentance is necessary for salvation and, and uh, is interchangeable with salvation and belief for salvation in the Scriptures, the New Testament. And so we see that God wants everyone to be saved. So the Bible says it's God's will that we're saved. Now, Jesus said those that do the will of God, 
become members of my family. So he's speaking about those who are born again, those who trust Jesus. Look over at, at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And you can turn in the Scriptures with me. Gospel of John, chapter 1. If you don't have a Scripture, if I'm moving too fast for you, you can look at the person next to you and share. John, chapter 1. Look at John, chapter 1, and verse 11. This is speaking of, of Christ. He came unto His own, that's the Jews, and His own received Him not. They didn't want Him. Verse 12, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the what? The sons of God, to become part of His family. Even to them that believe on His name. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So there's this spiritual birth that takes place. John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, uh, ye... Uh, uh, you must be born again, and you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And so this idea of a new birth has to take place. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe in him as the sinless son of God. We believe that he's the one who died on the cross to pay for not his sins, our sins. And he was buried and then he rose again. There is an empty tomb today in Israel. He rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of his father. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. That's the gospel plan. And if we believe that and then we receive that, we ask him to become ours. I receive him into my, into my heart. I ask him to be my savior. If I wanted to give you a gift today, I could take this beautiful Bible and say, I want to give you this gift. Do you believe it? Oh, I believe you want to give that to me. I believe that's a Bible. I believe you will give it to me. Will you receive it? You can still say no. You can say, no, I don't want it. No, thanks. And that's what a lot of people do with Jesus. It's believe and receive. You believe in who him. The devils believe and tremble, the Bible says. The devils, the, the demons and Satan understand the facts about Christ, but they don't believe in him as their savior. They don't receive him as their savior. And salvation is not believing the facts about who Jesus was and is. It's accepting him as your savior. He's not a savior. He's my Savior. He didn't die for some sins. He died for my sins. He's not going to take some people to heaven. He's going to take me to heaven. And we see the gospel plan. And so when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, we receive Him as our personal Savior. We become the children of God. When we do the will of God, we become part of God's family. See, what's the will of God for every person? Number one, receive salvation. Receive salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, if you're here and there's never been a time where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can't go to heaven according to the Scripture. It's not what I said, it's what God said. Your sins have separated between you and the Lord. God can't allow a sinner to go into heaven. But what God can do is forgive your sin and separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. But then the Bible says that after we're born again, after we're saved, after we do the will of God, we become part of God's family. Let me show you a tremendous verse. 1 John chapter 2. Towards the end of your Bible, almost to the book of Revelation, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. See, verse 15 reminds us there's a lot of things you can do with your life. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Here he's telling us what not to do. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. You can seek after worldly stuff. You can go after everything your eyes see and everything your, your flesh wants to do and the pride of life trying to be whatever you want to be. But you can't do that and follow God. You can't love the world and love the Father. And read on. Verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. I want you to look at me. One of these days, all this worldly stuff people are chasing after is going to be gone. It's going to burn up. The Bentleys, the Maseratis, the multi-million dollar homes, the retreats in Fiji, whatever they are, the gold bullion stacked in, in their walls, the cash under the mattress, the stocks, the bonds, the worldly fame. It's all going to be gone. But then notice verse 17, And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Isn't that good? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, you can live for this world and it's all going to be gone, but if you live for God, it's going to matter forever. If you put your faith in Jesus to be saved, you're going to live forever. If after you're born again, you choose to seek after God and do His will and try to accomplish the general and specific will of God in your life, then those things are going to last forever. Consider this, the fact that you're at church this morning, a million years from now, it's going to matter that you were here for an hour and a half. A million years from now. It's not going to matter whether the, the, the Patriots win this afternoon. It's not going to matter what, what the bank account balance is. It's not going to matter uh, wh- whether it was raining or what the weather was like or whether you got to go to Six Flags or whether you went out fishing or whether you got your deer. None of that's going to matter. But it matters forever that you're here this morning. It matters forever the money you put in your plate of putting up treasures in heaven. It matters forever going to the nursing home this afternoon and the, the Christmas program that we're putting on. All of those things matter forever. A billion years from now, you'll be pleased and happy reaping the rewards that you obeyed the will of God. That's pretty awesome. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I like that. So we're talking about God's will for every person. Number one is to receive salvation. God wants every person to be saved. Atheist, he wants you to be saved. Agnostic, he wants you to be saved. Critic, scorner, doubter, he wants you to be saved. False religion, believing, well, everybody goes to heaven, or you've got to be a certain denomination, or you've got to keep the sacraments, or you've got to do this and that. No, 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 no. God wants you to be saved his way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. God's will for every person who breathes the breath of life is to be saved. That's good. Number two, what's the will of God for every person? Look at Galatians chapter 1. Book of Galatians. Don't you love the Bible? So much good stuff. Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. 
Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Amen. Why did he give himself for our sins? That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God's will for every person. Number two, God wants to deliver you from this present world. God wants to deliver you from this present world. We just talked about not living for the things of this world. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy the world. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy being alive. And, and uh, there's a lot of wonderful things to enjoy, especially we live in a beautiful area. But it means you don't live for it. Because this world will chew you up and spit you out. The world system is corrupt. It's been corrupted by sin and it is under the oppression of Satan. Satan is called the God little g of this world. He's pulling a lot of the levers. He's pulling a lot of the strings. That's why the world system is, is bent towards fighting against, against God. It's bent towards fighting against a true Christianity. You see this even in America that, that for a long time has been a safe haven of true Christendom. And now the, the politics and the, the pressures of culture and the popular culture and the social pressure is pushing against godliness and faith, and it's becoming popular to blaspheme God and to be an unbeliever and all of these things. It's never been that way in American history. But you see, it was that way in other countries, believe me. But America was kind of a safe haven. But we see even in America, as we uh, get to the end times, and we get towards the end of the end times, we see this pressure and this push. The, the world, this present evil world, wants to spit you, uh, chew you up and spit you out. As the song says, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Don't give your heart to this crazy world. God's plan is to deliver us from this evil place. We all feel the pull of it. Our sin nature is tuned in to the corruption of this world. Corrupt music, it's corrupt entertainment, it's, it's, just, it's just tuned into it. We're very familiar with it and we sense that pull to the world. You know, God's plan is to sanctify us through His indwelling Holy Spirit. God's trying to separate us from sin, deliver us from the power of sin so that we can live like Christ. So what's God's plan for every Christian? Number one, receive salvation. Number two, to be delivered from this present world. What's God's will for every person? Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And look at verse 5. Servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So the Bible here speaks about do the will of God heartily. Do the will of God heartily. The word heartily means with all your heart, zealously, passionately, sincerely. It says don't do it with eye service. Listen, don't do what you're supposed to do just when people are watching. That's eye service. 
If you're watching, we're going to do right, but as soon as mom and dad walk away, now we're going to do wrong. If we're at work and the boss is looking over our shoulder, man, we're the best worker, but as soon as they walk away, now, now we're laying off. Uh, no, don't, don't do it with eye service or as a men pleaser. A men pleaser is we're doing it for the wrong motivation. I'm doing it to get the attaboy. I'm doing it to get the, hey, great job. And if you're living for, for the applause of men, that is its own reward. As soon as you get this, it's done. It's gone. And people do all kinds of foolish things to make people happy. Let me give you some encouragement. Don't be a man pleaser. Don't be a people pleaser. Now, some of you are, are built this way. Truth is, some of you come out of the womb not caring about anybody else, right? It's like, it's like I don't care about you. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do my own thing. And, uh, but some people are kind of born with this. I want to make other people happy. You know, I want, I want, to, I want to make sure everybody's okay. You know, I don't want to rock the boat. So th- this is what I'd like to do, but if you don't want me to, okay, okay I'll do that. And okay, I'll do that. And, and, and okay. And those people are very susceptible to peer pressure. Uh, but don't spend your life trying to please people. Spend your life trying to please the Lord. And what you'll find out is that when you please the Lord, ultimately you end up pleasing people. The right people. If people are upset at you for doing the will of God, they don't have your best interests in heart. They might think they do. They might love you, but they'll drive you right into a ditch. And there's been a lot of people in my life over the years, they've been upset when I've tried to do the will of God. But later, over time, God proves out that was the right thing to do. So you never go wrong by obeying the will of God. And if, if the whole world says, stop, you obey the written word, will of God. And you obey the specific will of God as revealed. I remember when I was going to be a preacher, people said, don't do it. You're going to ruin your life. Well, if this is a ruined life, I'll take more of it. That's pretty good. And the list goes on and on. And so don't live to please men. It's folly and foolishness. Think about this. Jesus didn't commit himself to men because he knew what was in man. You can look up John chapter 2, verse 24 later. Jesus was committed to the will of the Father, not the will of the disciples, not the will of the Pharisees, the high priest or, or Pilate. He was committed to the will of the Father. Men are fickle. God is faithful. Amen. So how do we do the will of God heartily? We obey God with all of our heart. We observe His commands sincerely, not begrudgingly. We zealously conform to the image of Christ. We desire, listen, are, are you saying, okay, I'll, I'll do it, fine. Okay, if that's what God said, I'll do it. I'm not happy about it, but I'll do it. Well, congratulations. <laughs> wow, you're going to get an award in heaven for that. Fine, 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 I'll be like Jesus. No, do it heartily. Seek it. Passionately strive for it. Oh, I want to be like Jesus today. Wake up tomorrow saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do the will of God today. And seek after it. Do the will of God heartily. This is the will of God for every man. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What's the will of God for every person? 
Verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Here the Bible says it's God's will for every man to abstain from fornication. A fornication is a wide-ranging word that describes all forms of immorality. It speaks about uh, sex between unmarried people. It speaks about adultery, pornography, sodomy, homosexuality, bisexuality, incest, idolatry. It covers it all. Now, it's typically used about uh, sex outside of marriage, but it's, a, it's just a huge umbrella where every form of immorality can fit under this label of fornication. Here's God's will for every person. This is the will of God that you abstain from fornication. God desires his people to live morally clean lives. Be clean. Be morally clean. Boy, this world is so filled. It's so it's so energized with this eros love. It's all about the physical, this hookup culture, this tender culture. It's all about getting your pleasures, no strings attached. That stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work. Matter of fact, when you study the scripture, fornication and sexual sins are one of the most thoroughly judged sins in the Bible. God has little patience for it. God wants us to live a morally clean life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 13, Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for who? The The Lord. And the Lord for the body. Now look at me. The hedonistic world, this world so seeking after pleasure, views the human body as simply an instrument of lust, an instrument of pleasure. And it doesn't matter how that pleasure comes. doesn't matter who it comes from or how you get it. It's just if you can enjoy some form of pleasure... But the Bible here specifically says God didn't make your body for fornication. God says, I didn't give you your body as simply an instrument of pleasure. Now, there is the privilege of the marriage bed that is a wonderful thing. But God said your body is not for fornication and fornication is not for the body. But it's it's for the Lord. God made your body for him. And we find later, look at verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So a lot of sins you commit without your body. Your body is not the instrument committing those sins. But when it comes to fornication, you're literally taking your body and using it as a loaded weapon. You're literally like grabbing a knife and and stabbing somebody. It's the tool. It's the instrument. 
And God said, when you sin, you're not just sinning against me in some spiritual sense. You're literally sinning against your body. There are physiological and emotional changes that happen when people get involved with these types of sexual sins. And it's destructive. There's a whole category of diseases that are basically called STDs. That doesn't mean you can't get one another way. It just means they're basically classified as distributed through illicit immorality. We sin against our bodies. It's like an addiction uh, that, that the body gets addicted to. But here's, the, here's the, the thing. Look at verse 18. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your what? Body. And in your what? Spirit, which are God's. They both belong to God. When Jesus Christ purchased our redemption on, on the cross, He didn't just buy our spirit, He bought our body too. It all belongs to Him. And then He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit literally indwells us in this body, and why would we take the temple of the Lord and do illicit things with it? Here's the truth. A lot of people will do things outside of church they would never do in church. Right? Do you agree with that? I mean, there's a lot of things. You'd say, I'd never do that in a church house. Now, the goal should be that my life in church and my life outside of church matches. But here's the deeper truth. Your body is the temple. It's not like if you leave this location, God stays here, and then you go over there and sin, and then you come back and visit God next Sunday. It's that God lives in you. So the fact that you say, well, I'd never do that in church, you are doing it. You are the temple of God. So can we see why God says this is the will of God that you should abstain from fornication? Even though sexual sins are accepted in our culture today, they are terrible sins with horrific consequences. I still believe you ought to try to save yourself until you're married. You young people, don't get caught up in that. You save yourself until you're married. You say, oh, that, that, that's old fogey stuff. That, that, that's, that's crazy talk. You have no idea what can of worms you're opening when you start down that path. You have no idea the emotional pain and turmoil that you open up when you start going down that path. You say, well, well preacher, I've already blown it. Then start today. Start today and say, God, I want to be clean. I want to be clean for the one who you made me for. And I think even if you're married, you know, if you're married, that doesn't protect you from uh, immoral temptation. If you're married, you keep yourself under your, your spouse, under your husband, your wife, and that means no window shopping. That means not checking out people at work, at the mall, at the store. That means not watching that junk on TV, watching people half-naked more all over the TV and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and uh, with, within seconds, each one of you, if you have a smartphone, within seconds, all the vile filth of the world is available to you if you're not careful. You got to be careful of that mess and make no mistake about it. It is addictive. You say, I'd never do cocaine. 
it's just as addictive. I'd never do that. It's just as bad and maybe worse as all the other sins you say you'd never do. Flee fornication, that's a scripture. So what's the will of God for every man? We said, number one, receive salvation. Number two, uh, deliver God's people from this present world. Number three, do the will of God heartily. Number four, abstain from fornication. Number five, look at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Some of you, that may be the first time you've ever heard the truth on that subject. And let me tell you, preachers are lying to you if they're telling you anything different. Doctors and adults are lying to you if they're telling you any different. It's a wicked, evil world out there. And God wants to protect us from it. All right, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 18, let's say it together, ready? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So God says, in everything give thanks. Not for everything. In everything. You know, there's a lot of things that come in our lives that we may not be thankful for, but we can be thankful in. God expects us to be a grateful people, and why shouldn't He? Folks, we've been so blessed. You've been absolutely so blessed. And we get so blind to it. Our countless sins cried for eternal judgment, but we've been forgiven. We deserve hell. I mean, we could be in hell right now, but we've been given eternal life. Why is it that we tend to focus on all the things that we don't have and all the bad things that have ever happened to us instead of focusing on what we do have and all the good that's happened to us? God expects us to be a grateful people. Being rich is not having everything you want. It's wanting everything you have. It's God's will that we give thanks in everything. No matter what you're going through, listen to this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's on your plate, no matter what burdens are about to crush you, you have countless reasons to look up to heaven and say, thank you. I'm so grateful. In everything, give thanks. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Of course, Thanksgiving comes up. It's not meant to just be about the turkey and the sides and the football and the family. It's meant to be about gratitude and thanksgiving unto God of heaven. What's God's will for every person? Number six, live well to silence the foolish. God intends you to live well to silence the foolish. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Here's what God says. You've been made free. You're called by my name. You've, you've been delivered from the punishment of sin, the penalty. You can be delivered from the power of sin. Live well. Go around doing good. Christians should be the best citizens. Christians should be the best workers. 
Christians should be the ones in the extended family who aren't causing all the problems, but are the peacemakers. Christians should be the ones who aren't getting caught up in all the drama of the world. They live differently. And it's God's will that we are the examples of godliness to the world. And we can silence the critics with good works. They might mock your God. They might scorn your Bible. They might call you a nut for living how you do. But one thing they cannot deny is your good, godly, Christian testimony. They can't deny it. A child of God should never be involved in crimes and sins. This gives the enemies of the Lord great occasion to blaspheme. But if we live well, we bring glory to God, we silence the critics. So they might mock and say, oh, you believe you should wait until you get married? You, you believe that, that fornication's wrong? Yeah, but you'd love to have my marriage. Uh, you, you, you believe to live in court the Bible? Oh, but you'd love to live in my home. I don't say that proudly. I'm just saying I've lived in homes like it and I've lived in homes not like it. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than the opposite. And many of you could say the same. Are you tithe? Yeah, but you'd love to sleep as soundly as I do at night. I may not have the RVs and the boats and all the fun things you have and the snowmobiles, and I sure do sleep well. See, people can mock, and they can laugh, and they can scorn. But if they look at your good life, not a whole lot they can say. In the end, let me say lastly, look at First Peter chapter 4. This is God's will for every person. God's will for every person, number seven, suffer with committed faith. Look at First Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Every person suffers. You in this room will suffer. It's raining outside today. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a sin-cursed world. You can be living right, bad things happen. You can be living wrong, bad things happen. Now, it's not all equal because we have the blessing and protection of God for sure. But some Christians, they get so high and mighty in their mind, it's like, why is this happening to me? Because we all have to suffer sometimes. You're going to get sick sometimes. People are going to falsely accuse you. Enemies are going to rise up. People are going to use you. Jesus told us how to deal with that. Financial trouble is going to come. You're going to go without. Relationships are going to suffer. You're going to suffer. The question is, how do you suffer? The lost suffer with complaints, anger, envy, depression, bitterness, drugs, alcohol, cursing, reviling, and more. 
but the Christian should suffer differently. God intends His people to suffer in faith. The verse says, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God. Sometimes God's going to need you to suffer. We don't believe in the health and wealth gospel where God never wants you to be poor. Sure He does. God never, they'll, they'll say God never wants you to be sick. He'll allow you to be sick for the greater good. Here it's talking about being legally wrongfully accused, going to prison for preaching the gospel, going to prison for believing in Jesus. And you understand under the Roman Empire, they literally rounded up Christians and killed them. They burnt them at the stake. They put them in Colosseum games and watched them be ripped apart by wild animals and killed by Roman gladiators for fun. One Roman emperor, Nero, would take the dead bodies of Christians, dip them in oil, put them on the end of a stick, and have them hanging in the air, lighting his garden at night. And he would take night walks by the, bur- by the light of the burning bodies of Christians. It's a wicked, evil world out there, folks. Matter of fact, Jesus said sometimes people may kill you thinking they do God a service. They're Muslims all over the world killing Christians thinking they're doing their God a service. And not just them, militant Hindus, communists, atheists, socialists. And just because we live in the safety and comfort of America, We get so spoiled. It's like, God, how can I have this financial setback? God, how can I how can I break my leg? How can I break my arm? How how can I have to go to the doctor? How can I have this disease? How how could this happen to me? And God often points us to the cross and says, sometimes you must suffer. Christianity was born in suffering. And it's not that God wants you to hurt, but sometimes hurting is the only way for God to give you what you really want. Sometimes suffering is the only way the people you're praying for to get saved, if they see your faithful suffering, that may be the only thing that breaks their hard heart. The life of a Christian is the stage on which the world sees the grace of God played out. But what if we're not fulfilling our role? What if we're not suffering faithfully? Joseph suffered false accusations. Job endured sudden disaster. Paul struggled with chronic disease. Christ died for the sins of others. Hebrews tells of saints who were cut in half and burned at the stake. Yet by God's estimation, they conquered the world. See, through all of that, God is glorified when we suffer faithfully. That doesn't mean we want to suffer. But if we do suffer, we'll agree with Paul that his grace is sufficient. He went on to say, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm not saying you will suffer terribly, but if you do, and whether it's the day-to-day troubles of life 
or the sudden disasters, commit your suffering unto God as a faithful creator. He was faithful to create you. He's faithful to sustain you. He's faithful to save you. He's faithful to get you through this trial. Amen? Amen. What's the will of God for every person? Receive salvation. Deliver from this present evil world. Do the will of God heartily. Abstain from fornication. Give thanks in everything. Live well to silence the foolish. Suffer with committed faith. One man said, success is to find the will of God and do it. God has a general will and a specific will. Study the word of God and do what God says and then spend the rest of your life surrendering and seeking to find God's specific will. We can all obey God in these areas, will you? I wonder if you're here today, are you lost? Are you here today and you're going to tell God no? You're going to say, no, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to believe in Jesus. I don't want forgiveness. It's not God's will for you to go to hell. He'll let you. But you'll have to walk right past Calvary to go there. What about any of these other areas? What area of, of our lives can we surrender to the plain will of God? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the opportunity to look at your word. We ask that you would not just let this sermon die in our hearts and, and allow Satan to steal it away, but that it would take root and bear fruit over the course of our lives. Help us to strive to fulfill your will. Heads about eyes are closed. <clears throat> in just a moment, we're going to stand. Of course, if you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. Maybe something else the Lord spoke to you about. It's a good thing to walk an aisle. In just a moment, we'll stand. Piano will be playing. Some Christians may walk forward uh, to pray at the altar. God just seems to honor that when someone humbles themselves and walks forward and prays at an altar and speaks to the Lord. But either way, take action on what God's placed in your heart. Don't, don't let it sit there. Don't deal with it later. Let's all strive to be faithful to the revealed will of God. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. If the Lord spoke to your heart.